Good evening. It's good to see everyone back out this evening. Thank you for joining us again as we gather together on the Lord's Day to worship Him. It's been wonderful to sing praises to Him and now to be given an opportunity to open up the Word and to study from it. I'm going to be talking about a subject this evening that can be a bit sensitive, perhaps, due to the nature of the conversation but one that is very important. We're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say in regards to homosexuality. And the reason, one of the reasons, why a topic like this is so important for us to discuss in a setting like this is because of the society and the culture in which we live. There are a lot of sins, a lot of sins that culturally societally, are still frowned upon, generally speaking. I don't want to be referred to as a liar because I'm a Christian, but even someone who isn't a Christian doesn't want to be referred to as a liar. Culturally, we still have some connection to a certain level of morality and standards. However, There are sins, and homosexuality is not the only one that falls into this category, but it is one that has pushed past any negative connotation within society and culture, and has even pushed past a level of acceptance, and is now demanding celebration, and it is now demanding that culturally we applaud and celebrate a lifestyle such as this. And as Christians, that puts us in a situation of being very countercultural in the way that we address a topic like this. It puts us in a vulnerable situation when we talk about it from a biblical perspective. It puts us in the crosshairs of society when we talk about it biblically. But one of the important things to remember as we engage in a conversation like this is that societies change. Cultures change. Opinions change. Countries and powers come and go. But the Bible stays the same. And what God has said about a topic like this remains consistent from the day that it was penned to today, and it will remain consistent as long as God allows this earth to stand. And so we are going to open up his word, and we are going to simply allow him to tell us what we are supposed to do with this topic That dominates the headlines in a variety of different ways, whether you are watching the local news, whether you are watching sports, collegiately, professionally, uh, whether you are in public school, private school, we we will all be exposed to it, and it will dominate the headlines in our lives. And so we have to know how to talk about it, and we have to know what the Bible says about it. Jeremy laid a foundation this morning as he talked about God's plan for a sexual relationship within marriage that I'm going to build upon this evening as we begin talking about this topic. 
And I'm going to put up on the screen behind me my three points for this evening so you can kind of see where we're going uh, as we progress through our study. I'm going to take these off and put a couple of verses up with each one as we go through. But I wanted you to see what the three points are going to be before we dive into it so you can kind of understand where we're headed this evening. But the foundation that Jeremy established for us this morning in God's Word is really what the first point this evening is going to be. And that is that any sexual relationship outside the parameters established by God is sinful. Which means we could go to the first and second pages of the Bible. The first and second pages of the Bible. That's not an exaggeration. You can open up your Bible. It is the first and second pages of God's Word. In Genesis chapter 1... In Genesis chapter 2, as God establishes the husband-wife relationship and the intent for the sexual relationship to be contained and confined within that relationship. And if the question that we wanted to address this evening was, is homosexuality sinful, then we can close our Bibles and go home. Because the beauty of God's word and the way that he gave it to us is he did not have to give us a list of everything that is wrong. If that was what we were expecting when we received the Bible, what we would get is a book that would go from the floor to the ceiling and still be inadequate. But the reality is, is that's not what we need. What we need is for God to tell us what's right. What we need is for God to tell us what he designed, what he created, what his intents are. And when we understand that, then we can clearly understand that anything outside of that is sinful. And so, when we open up the first page of God's word, and we read in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse number 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Chapter 2, beginning in verse number 18 And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. From the very beginning, God had to design for what he intended this type of a relationship to be. 
And as Jeremy pointed out this morning, it couldn't be more clear. God created male and God created female. And together, in a marriage relationship, they become one flesh. And that is God's design for the marriage relationship. That is God's design for the sexual relationship. Anything outside of those parameters is sinful. Which means homosexuality, by definition, is sinful. Now, God doesn't leave it at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, although he could have. If he hadn't said another word about sex, the rest of Scripture, we could come to a clear, undeniable conclusion that homosexuality is sinful, based on Genesis chapters 1 and 2. He doesn't leave it there. There are actually a host of passages that talk about it or reference it in a variety of different ways. Now, we would be here for a very long time if we looked at all of those. We're not going to. But there are a host of passages that talk about that topic. I do want to turn your attention to one that I think is very helpful in in regards to to this topic, and that's in Romans chapter 1. We're actually going to spend a decent amount of time in Romans this evening. But God gives, again, a very clear depiction of what he is going to refer to in this passage as natural and thus what he will refer to as unnatural. And again, very consistent with what he said from the very beginning. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse number 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. God created a natural sexual relationship. And as we can see in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 26 and 27, What man has perverted is unnatural. Or to use Paul's own words, it is shameful and vile. No matter the pressures that we may feel from society, from the media, from friends, from family, We cannot stray from what the Bible says is right and what the Bible says is wrong. And homosexuality is sinful. And we need to stand on that confidently. Not because of how we may feel about it, but because of what God has said about it. We must take the stance that God takes. We must draw lines where he draws lines. And we must confidently speak where he speaks. And so as it pertains to the sinfulness of homosexuality, it falls outside of the parameters of what God has created to be natural. And thus, sinful. But that then begs the question. Again, this, this, the title of this lesson isn't, is homosexuality sinful? 
But once we establish that, where do we go from there? Where, where do we go from there? How do we talk about this? How do, how, do, how do we talk to people who may be struggling with this? Well, there's a couple important things that I want us to consider this evening as we dive into this topic a little bit deeper. And the first one is this. While we can clearly establish the fact that homosexuality is sinful, the temptation of homosexuality is not equal to the sin of homosexuality. As I mentioned previously, we need to be sure that we're drawing lines where God draws lines. And so I want you to look at a couple of passages of Scripture with me. First in James chapter 1. James here not talking specifically in regards uh, to, to homosexuality, but to the idea of temptation itself. Listen to what he has to say, beginning in James chapter 1 and verse number 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Each one of us will be tempted in this life. And we will each be tempted in different ways. Those temptations do not come from God. He is not tempting us. Satan is at work in this world trying to pull us away from God. And as such, we will each face temptations along the road. The call is to resist those temptations. And that is true in the case of homosexuality as well. There will be those who are tempted in that way. And just as someone who is tempted to anger or tempted to violence or tempted to alcohol abuse or tempted to whatever it may be, fill in the blank, is called by God to resist that temptation and thus stay pure in his eyes, so is someone who is facing the temptation of homosexuality. They are called to resist that and thus to stay pure in the eyes of God. And that is important because how we talk about a subject like this could at times be very confusing and unfortunately very discouraging for someone who may be struggling with this. If they are open with us about a struggle in this area, our encouragement should be to resist the temptation through the power of God and thus stay pure in his eyes. Just because I may not feel that temptation, someone else might. Or just because I may feel a certain temptation, you may not. We should help one another through those times. Lean on each other for strength and assurance and guidance as together, through the power of God, we resist temptation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul will write this to the Christians in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse number 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except 
such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The promise that is being made to each of us is not a life free of temptation. The promise that is being made to each of us is that in that temptation, God will provide a way of escape. Now, that way of escape may look different at different times for different people and in different ways. For Joseph, for instance, it was running away. So there may be times in your life, whether it's this or something else, you just have to run away from it. And if you are struggling with something like homosexuality, that may be a very real need at times as the world bombards us with this idea. But God provides a way of escape when we are in the midst of temptation. In Romans chapter 13 and verses, verse numbers 13 and 14, Paul again writing there to the Christians in Rome Romans 13, I was wondering why that didn't look like, I was in John. Romans chapter 13, verse number 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. God will always provide a way of escape for us. And that way of escape is turning to him. Make no provision for these things in your life. God will provide a way of escape for those who are struggling with the temptation of homosexuality. And the the expectation that God has is to remain pure and to remain free from sin. And then finally, our response to homosexuality. Our response to someone who perhaps has given themselves over to the sin of homosexuality. How do we respond to someone who is in that situation? I want to suggest to you this evening that our response to homosexuality must convey love, but not acceptance. In Romans chapter 5, this is a passage of scripture that has actually been referenced several times over the past few weeks from the pulpit. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse number 6, Paul writes, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the type of love that we are called to have. In John chapter 13, where I was just a moment ago, when I meant to be in Romans chapter 13, in John chapter 13, Jesus there talking to his apostles, talks to them about the type of love that they are supposed to have moving forward. In verse number 34 of John 13, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
This is the picture of love that we are supposed to have for someone engaged in the sin of homosexuality. Because we care for their soul. Because we are emulating the love that Jesus has shown to us as we love them. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He died for us when we were enemies of God's. That's how much he loved us. And Jesus calls on us to love others in the same way. But, Romans chapter 1 and verse number 28 beginning. I want you to look at what Paul has to say, and I want us to connect it with this idea of loving those who are engaged in sin. Beginning in verse number 28 of Romans chapter 1, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgivable, or unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, now listen to how he finishes this, who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That is a strong warning, not only to those who are engaged in those types of sins, sexual immorality being one that is listed there, but also a warning to those who would approve of those who practice them. And that is the reason that we must take such a strong stance against homosexuality, against all forms of sin. We cannot be accused of approving of sinful lifestyles and behaviors. God will hold us accountable for that on the day of judgment. And so it is incumbent upon us as Christians to both convey the love that Jesus has demonstrated, and that he conveys to us. But also make it very clear that we cannot and will not approve of a sinful lifestyle. In fact, to even take that a step further, if we want to encourage those who are struggling with a sin like homosexuality to talk to us about it, to confess those sins, to seek encouragement and help to overcome those temptations. If that's an environment that we want to cultivate, it must start with an understanding that we love and care for their souls. There is no quicker way to shut someone down than to to demonstrate a lack of love or concern for them. If we want to encourage honest communication, and openness with one another, then we have to convey the type of love 
that Christ calls us to have. And then we can have serious, meaningful, and life-changing conversations about the temptations that someone is dealing with or the sin that they have fallen victim to. I read a portion of a book uh, not too long ago. It was called Letters to Young Preachers. It's a book that has been out for for several years, but uh, preachers of an older generation wrote letters to young preachers taking on the work and the responsibilities of a preacher, and it was combined into a book. And Sewell Hall wrote one of the letters that was in that book, and there was one sentence in the letter that he wrote that stood out to me and that I wrote down and I think is so simple yet so apt. And he wrote to those young preachers, your responsibility is to change sinners, not to accommodate them. That is such a simple commendation, but yet one that is so powerful to all of us. Because the reality is, is that God calls on all of us to be changed. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul will write that we are to be transformed, not conformed. When we sin, God calls on us to change. He calls on us to be different. And that should be our life's goal as Christians to help change the ways of those who are involved in sin. And that most certainly applies to the sin of homosexuality. We cannot give the appearance of of acceptance. And as changed people ourselves, as Christians, as those who have put off the old man of sin, we now have the great privilege of helping others do the same. And sometimes that will call on us to have difficult conversations, perhaps ones that make us uncomfortable. And yet when we keep our eyes on the prize, when we keep our eyes focused on a home in heaven where we can spend eternity with God forever and ever, free from all of the noise and the sin and the wickedness and the evil of this world, when we keep focused on that prize, it'll make those conversations a whole lot easier. It will make taking difficult stances a whole lot easier. It will make calling sin, sin a whole lot easier. Because I know what I'm living for. And it's not this world and it's not this life. And it's not the approval of society. But I'm living this life for the approval of my Father in heaven. And when I open up his word, I can find what he has to say in regards to who he wants me to be and what my response should be to sinful situations. 
When it comes to homosexuality in particular, the three points that I have up on the screen, we have to recognize it as sin first and foremost. We have to draw the distinction between temptation and sin. And for those who are struggling with the sin of homosexuality, it's our responsibility to convey love but not acceptance. If we stay grounded in the truth, focused on the Bible, then together we can grow stronger, together we can grow closer to each other, together we can help pull people out of the life of sin and bring them to a life of purity. one in which they can enjoy the same relationship with God that you and I have. That's what God wants for every man and every woman to ever walk this earth. And this evening, if, if you're here, this has been a little bit of a different lesson. It's certainly not one that lends itself easily to an invitation. But I do want us to consider some of the principles that we have talked about this evening. Because while much of our focus has been towards one specific sin, the reality is is that the principles that we've talked about this evening apply to all sin. God calls us to be pure. God calls us to be holy. God calls us to be set apart. To be his child. And to have a relationship with him that extends from this life to eternity. And all of us have the opportunity to leave here this evening with that type of a relationship with our Father in Heaven. So if you've never been baptized for the remission of your sins, to have those sins washed away, to put off the old man of sin and to rise up a new creature, you have an opportunity to do that this evening so that you can have that type of a relationship with God. That you can be saved tonight. If you've done that, maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe, perhaps it's homosexuality, perhaps it's something different. But if you're struggling with sin and have, have given yourself back to the world and given in to some of the temptations that the world throws your way, all of us here want to help bring you back to that relationship that you once had with God. And the Father stands ready to forgive He begs for an opportunity to forgive us. He wants to have that relationship with us. So if you're here this evening and we can help you with any struggle that you may be having spiritually, please come to the front and let us know how as we stand.